Folks, in our youth, when our careers were growing and expenses were high, we needed to get the most from our savings and the money we invested in the market. As we age, we need a safer strategy, one that can protect against market loss. We need to keep our hard-earned principles safe while allowing growth to provide us with reliable retirement income. Therefore, to learn about reliable retirement income, I highly recommend Arif Halaby's show, The Total Financial Hour, Sundays at 11 a.m. on AM870, The Answer. The information on this show is not intended to be the primary basis for investment decisions and should not be used to provide financial advice. Please obtain the guidance of a financial professional regarding your particular financial concerns. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. This program reflects the views of Arif Halaby, California Insurance License 0B93792 of TFS Financial Insurance Services. TFS Financial Insurance Services, California Insurance License Number 0F22477, provides retirement income strategies using insurance and annuity products, which are guaranteed by the claims-paying ability of the issuing company. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now higher income strategy. Learn from Arab Halaby. Hey, welcome to the show. I'm Arab Halaby. Total Financial Hour, TFS Financial Insurance Services comes to you. And Total Financial Solutions, our job is to help you, I don't know, manage money, I guess, get out of debt, plan for retirement, do things that most of us, we never learned about in high school or even college. You know, countless folks that come to our office have had some sort of economic background. Oh, they took business courses in high school or they uh, work in the financial uh, world, uh, loan brokers or mortgage lenders of some sort or real estate. In other words, they've touched money. They work in that money field. But that isn't the same, is it? Planning for your future, retirement, uh, managing money, kind of thinking outside of the box financially rather than just your industry is not a normal thing to do. The basic money concepts, you know, remember some of us, uh, we never even learned to write a check in high school. Hopefully your parents taught you and they hauled your fanny down to the bank. Uh, maybe they, they did the old passbook savings account or they helped you online to open a bank account. And in that process, in that time frame, you learned, oh, this is what interest is. I didn't know I had a fee on that account. What do you mean you charge me more money to do this rather than that? Right? I remember when a friend of mine had a, had a big, uh, had, a, had a bank account at one of these large banks. I'm trying not to say the name. Uh, just think of Stagecoach. And as they walked in to the bank, he said, I have $80 in fees. He said, well, that's $20 each time you come in and see the teller. He said, but... I didn't know that. He goes, well, it was in the fine print. So, well, what about, how do I not pay $20 in fees? He goes, well, you could use the ATM machine or go online. He said, that's that's horrible, but I wish you guys would have told me. He said, well, now you know. And by the way, that'll be $20 because you came up to the teller. <laughs> so, he, he, of course, he was a bit angry and ended up closing his account. Those kinds of things. And in fact, that same bank, I had a small bank account there. I don't know. It wasn't huge. It was, I don't know, a couple thousand dollars. I don't know what it was. But it was it was something I just kind of used as a, as a play account. I'd put money in, save it, save, save to buy something. And I needed a money order. And I went in and they said, we're going to charge you a dollar. I said, the money order is like $15. Sorry. It, it, we're going to charge you a dollar. I said, do you know what interest, what percentage that is on that number? It's huge. They said, well, it doesn't matter. 
I said, well, if you're going to charge me a dollar, I'm going to close my bank account. And guess what they said? Don't let the door hit you on the fanny on the way out. So when I share these things to you, you have your own experiences. You know when big business, when big banks, when large corporations, they don't care about you because you're one person. That's why this push politically, right, to get everybody on Facebook or everybody on Twitter to hate you. That's why the, the goal is to get you banished, not by one person who's, who's upset, but by running it through you know, a state congress person or a state senator or, or some sort of, I don't know, somebody with horsepower, right, behind their name. Somebody who has influence. Because if they think you're a bad guy, it's more than just somebody trying to return something at the big box store and getting told no. So this, this push, the idea of having one or two of you upset, well, it doesn't really matter to most of these people. They don't really care if you're not happy. I mean, listen, you can leave a Yelp review or a Google review. You can leave some sort of an online comment and they get back to you, right? You can, you can say something about them on Facebook or Twitter, and, and usually there are people at some of these larger companies that are constantly, uh, these companies that are trolling to find out where their name is said, where their, their uh, likeness or some sort of reference to them and their service. And they have somebody whose job it is, is to jump in. Hi, so-and-so, I'm a manager of this. We are so sorry that you had a bad experience. Our, go- our goal is to, to make that better. Our job is to make you happy. What can we do? Right? They get down that road of, of customer service. So sometimes you guys have to pile in to make a difference compared to the old day. And this wasn't that long ago, maybe 10 years ago, where, where they, they treated me so poorly at this particular bank. I thought, well, why would I ever want to bank with them? You know, back in the day when I grew up in a in kind of a lower middle class neighborhood, we had a nice home, right? I mean, we had electricity, we had water, food, as much food as we wanted and needed. And we had a nice neighborhood. It was a comfortable lifestyle. But uh, let's be realistic about a couple of things, right? I would mow lawns and I'd work at the local golf course, cleaning the, the balls, trying to, to get them... Uh, washed and picked up alongside of the, the driving range and, and to sweep the tennis courts, whatever I, I could do at 10, 11, 12 years old. Most of the time I would spend that money just throughout the day or the week, but I would save some. I had a paper route. I would save some. I mowed lawns. I would save some. And then when I was 18 years old getting ready to go to college and I went into Bank of America and I said, hey, I'd like to see my bank account. How much do I have there? And they said, you don't have anything. I said, what do you mean? They said, well, your account was below the limit, so we were charging you, I think it was $15 a month or something. Like, are you kidding me? I didn't know that. They said, oh, yeah, we feed it, basically. We feed it to death. I said, but this was my my college savings fund. Oh, you were below, you had the account that was below $10,000. I don't remember the number. But it was like $3,000 or $4,000. It was definitely a semester, if not two. But Sorry. You know, I had to find another way to pay for my college. And, and what could you do back then? You couldn't really complain. You couldn't make a difference because nobody cared. I was a, you know, a kid from a lower middle class neighborhood and, and I'm one person with a small bank account. So I want to encourage you today to use your voice and not be picked on by the big guy or by the politically powerful, right? One person on Twitter says that when you say sexual preference, one person, when you say sexual preference, 
uh, referring to, to gay or lesbian folks, that that is a derogatory term. And so Senator from Hawaii comes out and says, oh, you are a bigot to our Supreme Court justice candidate at the time. She's like, what? Yeah, yes, you're a bigot. You knew that this word was defensive. So you realize that one person on Twitter with a radical leftist like Senator from Hawaii, I don't mean the liberal. You guys know the difference, right? Liberals believe in free speech. Liberals want to engage the argument. Liberals have reasons that they believe what they believe. They're not afraid to to debate with you. I think they're wrong most of the time. I think their conclusions are wrong. Some of their facts are correct, of course. But when you talk to progressives, it's about calling you a name. It's about picking on you and changing the subject and berating you and canceling you and pulling your, uh, your business. So you have a choice. You have a choice in this political climate. Speak up on the online forums. Switch from Facebook and Twitter to MeWe and Parler or Medium and Parler. There's a few different ones out there. Right? You, the only thing that these leftist billionaires, do you think really that they want to pay more in minimum wage? Do you really think they want to pay out health care? Because if they wanted to, they would. Right? If, if they wanted to give more money in taxes to the government because they think social programs are the way to go, do you realize how hard it is? Write a check. But that's not their agenda. Their agenda isn't to take their $6 billion and make it $5.5 billion. Their agenda is to take your 600000 and make it 200000 Right? Their agenda is to take a larger amount of your money and instead have you pay for their ideas. I mean, you, you realize that this is a strategy that you have to... Look, I wish it wasn't this way. I wish you went back to, to when things were normal and you'd have logical debates. Now, listen, in some cases, President Trump was right where the swamp was so deep that it's two sides of the same coin. We had a particular client who, whose family was very political. In fact, one of his parents was a Democrat. One was a Republican. And he wanted to move and live in a particular area. He was you know, older now finished school. And what he said was something very simple. He said, I'm trying to figure out where I want to live. I said, oh, why, to, to fit your ideas? And he said, no, just the opposite. He goes, I can, I can argue either side of it. What I'm trying to do is to find out where there's a particular majority, and then I'm going to be that candidate. In other words, if I want to live in a Democrat place, I'm going to become a Democrat. If I decide I'm going to live over in the Republican side, I'm going to be an activist for the Republican side. Meaning that often what President Trump said is that these are two sides of the same coin. Swamp and swampier. So when President Trump came, I didn't say he's the best guy, best man. right? You can argue that some of his tactics were a little bit uh, or even a lot more abrasive than they should have or could have been. I'm okay with that. But I wasn't voting for my friend or my brother-in-law or my neighbor. I wasn't voting for an example for my children to follow ethically. That's my job. I wasn't voting for somebody for my wife to look at of of 30 years and say, uh, that's the kind of man I want my husband to be. That's not who I was voting for. 
What you're voting for is someone who, who can fix the country, who can lead the country, not be a perfect person. And I, oh, yeah, but he bothers me. I get it. It's not Jesus or Trump. It's Trump and Biden. And now that Biden is, is the president of the United States for, who knows, 15 minutes or 15 months, whatever it will be. I mean, you understand two years and, and, and 10 minutes. That's all he has to make it. And then Kamala Harris could be president for 10 years. I mean, you, that's, that's basically Roosevelt impact. That's, that's executive orders every other week. That's dictatorial leadership through regulatory power by putting in people that are extremists in everything from labor departments to the EPA. So, so yes, I get it. You want to sit home and retire and relax and not be involved. But if you're not speaking with your mouth, you better be speaking with your dollars. And if you can't do either of those, then you better be doing it with your actions. Because you understand that these people aren't going to slow down. And if you plan on retiring or even leaving a better world for your children or grandchildren, you're going to have to do something a little different. Because nieces and nephews, children and grandchildren, they've all been educated in the same violent system that says that you and I have to go along through life and figure out, I don't know, that that we are racist and bad people and we need to apologize. Ask anybody that's come to this country. Certainly, we're not a perfect country. But man, do we have opportunity. That's an amazing thing, right? The United States is about opportunity, about a chance. I want equality and opportunity, not equality and outcomes. Because then the lazy son of a gun who sleeps, you know, in the basement on the couch until noon, that person is going to make the same or close to it as a physician who is a brain surgeon, who spent 12 years in school, you think equality of outcomes, right? That person who, who's sleeping on the couch, who, who's not producing anything more, that we're supposed to say your effort is now worth $15 an hour when last week it was worth $12 an hour. And so when that occurs, right, when that happens, you now as a company say, but the guy isn't flipping six more hamburgers per hour. Uh, the, the lady isn't, Uh, you know, mowing more lawns per hour. I I don't know. Whatever the job is, they're not doing more of it to equal a greater outcome. They're not more efficient. They're just there. So whenever the minimum wage concept comes up, I always say, well, if, if there's a way to beat minimum wage, you go back to school. There's a way to beat minimum wage. Get two jobs. There's a way to beat minimum wage. Get better. Because today, knowledge comes to you. It didn't used to be that way. We used to have to save lots of money, spend lots of money, send maybe one child to college, usually the oldest boy. We'd send him off to school and we'd say, come back with knowledge. Tell us what you learned. And that person would be the one to lift the family to the next social level, an economic level. And maybe there'd be room for the youngest to go to college afterwards. And they would send one away. And hopefully at the end, that person would have some sort of financial security, and and build wealth for their next generation. But you see, that's why you would go into debt. Why would you go into debt for something so unpredictable? 
Why would you get student loans or parent plus loans? Why would you do any of that for something that's kind of, ah, maybe so, maybe, maybe, maybe not, it will happen. And I think because that was your only shot. But today, for free, by the way, knowledge comes to you. Wi-Fi is free. Your Obama phone, I guess we're going to call it Biden phone now. You get, you get free. Everything is free. Laptop, p- tablets, right? You don't even have to give your real name when you go to college or, or high school. You understand that? You don't have to give anything real. Because there's no verification of who you are. Illegal immigrants get the same rights as you. They came to this country illegally. I don't mean they're bad people. Of course not. They're human beings in God's image. But they still came here illegally. Right? Well, well we're going to give them stuff. Okay, listen. Hey, a husband and wife rob a bank. They take a lot of money. We say, well, we're going to forgive the husband and wife and we're going to give the money to the children. Well, you can't husband and wife and give citizenship to the kids if they're illegal. I mean, I don't know. Give me an argument of why that's okay. Because it feels right. You just devalued the thing that you said you cherished. You just devalued the thing that you said has worth. So somewhere there has to be common sense. And I think this whole social justice idea that you and I are dealing with on a daily basis, it just depends on who's saying it. Right? Justice, that, whenever I hear the word fair, oh man, I watch my wallet, I check what kind of rights they're going to use against me, right? Oh, we're closing your First Amendment right. Thanks, Eric, because it's fair. If you're going to retire, if you're going to be a person who's living, leaving a legacy financially speaking, I'm sorry, but the last 10 or 20 years of your life, you're going to have to fight. It would have been nice if it wasn't. You could fly around and go to, go to the Bahamas and just, you know, live life. Sorry, you're the one with money and time now. Otherwise, your children and grandchildren's world is not going to be the same, not even close to the same. Because the Biden economy is going to be completely different. I think you need to batten down the hatches a little bit. I think you need to pull some winnings off the table. I think you need to protect some of your assets. You could do some part or all. I don't know. You decide how much you need to live on. I'm going to give you a formula. I'm going to give you a formula after the bottom of the hour of what I think you should have at risk, how much money should be in play, where you should put it, what does it look like? Because the idea of knowing that you have enough, well, we want to know what is enough, right? The idea of saying I'm comfortable, well, what does that mean comfortable? Because for everybody, it's a little different, right? We've spent years trusting the financial world with our financial life. Stock, bond, mutual funds, REITs, everybody's got them. Everybody knows them. Everybody's dealing with it. I get it. But at the same time, what are they good at? Oh, well, a stock, bond, mutual REITs, oh, all these numbers, initials after my name, all these classes. Great. Okay, I get it. You're smart. Wow, good job. But what are you great at? I get that you're good at a lot of things, but what are you great at? Because I want to see the greatness in everything you do. And if you can't be great at everything, then just be great at one or two things because that's called normal. 
And if you're great at one or two things, then the job is to bring other people around you, to bring other experts in who are great at those things. You've heard me use this example before. I've talked about, I want somebody who's great at fixing my tires. Somebody who's great at fixing my brakes. I want somebody who's great at fixing my transmission. I don't want the same person for all. Rarely does one human being build a house and know how to do the foundation and the, the concrete, concrete, electrical and framing and drywall. That, that's not one person. So if you're going to build a house that is a temporary structure, wouldn't you want, you know, with experts, wouldn't you want your retirement life that's supposed to last for a very long time to be done in a solid manner? Let me give you the number. It's 888-99-RETIRE. That's 888-997-3847. 888-99-RETIRE. Okay, that's a way to get a hold of us. 888-997-3847. All right, listen, your family's financial life comes down to a couple of different things. The choices you make now and the choices you make in retirement. When somebody tells me, Eric, my, my account's gone up. Oh my gosh, look at the market. It's done really well. I say, that's great. Tell me two things about your portfolio. I mean, let's just pretend. Let's just say I said this, right? See if you even knew the answer. Ready? What's the beta in your portfolio? And what's the overlap? Give me those two percentages. Give me those dollars. What does that mean? Now, you're going to say, because I've never known anybody not to say this, I don't even know what you just said, Arif. I don't even know what that means. What do you mean the beta? What do you mean the overlap? Well, if you're going to be an investor in the market where risk, where you can lose the retirement money, you need to know those things so you can see, do I have enough risk? Do I have too much risk? What's my overlap? How how many of my companies or mutual funds or stocks, bonds, different portfolio stuff? And it's not my job. I'm not the stock bond guy. My job is fixed, fixed indexed annuities, savings accounts, CDs, protection of principal, money markets. It's making sure that what you've earned your entire life does not go backwards. I don't know, two decades ago, I became a certified estate planner. Why? Well, because of my first four or five years in this business, we kept coming around to living trusts. We kept coming around to managing uh, the transfer of wealth from one generation to the next, from husband to wife, wife to husband. We were kind of involved in, in that process. And I said, you know, we need to be better at this. So me and my firm, a bunch of guys, we decided we're going to become certified estate planners. And so in our firm, we take that as part of what we do. We look at it as a process for you to say we can be the quarterback. The quarterback knows the job of the running back, right? The quarterback knows the job of the lineman. He, he can't do those jobs, maybe, at least not very effectively, but he knows what they are. He knows how to ask the questions, to bring in that, that expertise, to listen more than tell. So we kind of look at it like that, that our job is a little bit more of that quarterbacky, right? Sit back and, and take a look and ask the questions and see what's changing. Make sure we bring in the right attorneys or the right CPAs, making sure that the expertise of what we're looking for is built into whatever process you want me to handle for you. 888 retire That's 888-997-3847. Uh, listen, we have decided over the years that our practice was going to be focused on not losing money. That's it. It's pretty important. I don't want you to go backwards. I don't want you to pay these hidden fees. 
a good example. Uh, this last week, I met with somebody in his account. He's had it. It was about a hundred thousand dollars. He put in around seventy nine, so about eleven, uh, twenty, eh, twenty one thousand. He's made. When we calculated the fees for the last eight years that he's had this account, you ready for this? Seventeen thousand dollars in fees. He's paid seventeen thousand in fees, and he's made twenty one thousand dollars in interest. Now, if you're going to use that as a benchmark, there's a little trick that the industry uses. And when we come back, I'm going to share it with you. They use this little trick to hide those fees. And at least you'll ne- learn, you know, how does it, how does it work and, and where does it come through? All right. Let me give you the number one more time. 888 retire That's 888-997-3847. 888-99-RETIRE. And guys, you can reach us all the time. Our phone numbers are Monday through Friday, even sometimes on the weekend. We're in the office and we'll pick up your call. We're here for you every week. Stay with me after the bottom of the hour. We've got a few more things to talk about. I want to give you the code, the, the percentages or the, what we call the rules that will help you decide how much you need to have at risk. Stay with me. Eric Hallaby on the Total Financial Hour. 888-99-RETIRE. 997-3847. We'll be right back. Security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now, higher income strategy. Learn from Arab Halabi. Learn about financial power. Hey, folks, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thanks for staying with me. Oh my gosh, we got a lot to cover. Okay, 888 retire. That's Triple eight ninety nine retire eight eight seven or sorry triple eight nine nine seven three eight four seven. All right, that's enough of that. All right, here's what we're talking about. When it gets to the idea or the concept of is this account appropriate for me or or am I uh, reasonably exposed when it comes to the amount of risk that I should have in my portfolio? Let's be clear on this. I always want you to follow something called the rule of one hundred. In our industry, it's a standard. Okay, just like every industry has a standard, every profession has kind of some guidelines. Well, here's our guideline. It's called the rule of 100. It used to be when baby boomers were younger, it was the thing that really drove the financial industry. We always talk about the rule of 100. It's everywhere because here's how it works. It takes your age minus 100, and that's the amount of risk you should have in your portfolio. So, for example, when you were 30 years old as a baby boomer, 70% of your money should be at risk. When you're 50 years old as a baby boomer, half of your money could still be at risk. Well, that's where they charge the fees. That's where a lot of the hidden fees, the hidden commissions, the kickbacks, other things that could occur is on the risk side of the portfolio. So now, if you're 50 or 60 or 70 years old, and a lot of baby boomers, are, you know, if you go back 1946, you're in your mid-70s now. So... Now, that means about 30% of your money is at risk. 
Well, that's not enough to pay these guys bills. That's not enough for the financial world to say, I'm comfortable with that. So here's what they say. It's simple. Oh, we're going to change the rule. The rule that has worked so well for so long, now all of a sudden it's not convenient. Okay, fine, I guess. If you tell me that it makes sense to change the rules, I look at the facts and maybe I'll decide it's time to change the rules. But here's what we have used for so long. Your age minus 100, that's the amount of risk. Simply put, you take your age and that's the amount of safety. Now, what are some, that's the guideline. What are some variables on it? Let's be clear. You have two apartment buildings. You're going to inherit money from your mom or your dad. You have, you're an only child and your parents have a large sum of dollars in their retirement accounts and they're never going to spend it all and you're going to inherit it. Okay, well, that means your money can be a little bit greater at risk because we have a for sure thing coming down the road. I'm all right with that. Or you have two government pensions that are enough to pay your bills and then some. And you have another account that you have that you want to you know, put in the market. Okay, fine. Now you can have a greater amount at risk because those government pensions, if turned into a, a, a lump sum, right? There's a calculation we do that says what, how much money would that have to be in one big check in a lump sum in order to give you that government pension for the rest of your life. And it's a formula. It's not, I won't bore you with it, but we know how to do it. Well, here's what happens. As you move money to safety, as you move money out of risk, in most cases, the financial world, Wall Street, doesn't get paid. And they've made a living on what's called accumulating assets, moving as much money, money under the roof of their roof as possible. You've seen it, right? Have a little account, you never get a call back. Have a big account, you know, they seem to be so busy moving stuff around, buying and selling, buying and selling. But here's what I want you to do. Because there are some really good guys and gals out there that do this all day long. They're great people. They know what they're doing. Unfortunately, it's not the norm. So here's what I want you to do. You're just going to do the math. And here's the math. How much did I start with? How much do I have now? Right? In other words, what's my money? In the industry, it's also known as a cost basis. How much did I put in and how much is it worth now? Right? You put in 100000 and it's worth 120000 Great. You've made $20,000. I don't want you to use percentages because percentages are manipulative all day long. In our industry, it's extremely easy to manipulate percentages. If you're not sure, just take an 11th grade statistics class or freshman statistics class at the community college. Learn how easy it is to manipulate percentages. Okay? Can you say coronavirus? It's easy to manipulate percentages. Otherwise, they would tell you that 99.9997% and you're not going to die from it. I'm not saying it's, it's not real. Of course it's real. People get sick from pancreatic cancer. That's real. They get sick from breast cancer and, and from, uh, you know, you, you name it. People get sick. Okay. But what I'm saying is when it's convenient for, for whoever, whether it's the political elite, now progressives, to use percentages, and realize something, guys, they know when they're doing it. Your financial professional, unless they're 25 years old and brand new and just being told to say stuff and they repeat 
what their bosses are telling them. They know what they're doing. It's not a secret. It's not like, oh, well, my guy's new. He's only 37 years old and, and started in this business. No, no, no. They know what they're doing. Okay, so here's what I want you to do. You just add up what did, it, what did you put in and what did it cost to get there. And if you have a financial professional who has charged less fees than, than you've made by a lot, then it's a good deal. So I'd, if you had the account for 10 years, then you're going to add up the fees for every single year. Because you're doing it with the interest. You're saying, I put in 100 and I've made 120. Then you need, a, need to add up the cost for all those years. It cost me this much to make this much. And if the numbers are to your favor, to your liking, fantastic. Then keep that account. Maybe reduce the risk if you're getting older and you like to follow the rule of 100. I like it. I'm okay with that. But you're going to, but you got to make sure, is this the right thing for you to do? How much risk should you have? Well, those are important questions. What I don't want you to do is to have these accounts and you're only counting one direction of it. Right? You follow me? In other words, you're only saying, uh, I made 120000 I put in 100 it's worth 120 and it cost me uh, you know, 1% to get there. Okay, well, 1%. Well, one is such a small number, now you're starting to mix apples and oranges. You're starting to go to the grocery store and you think you're going to take percentages to the grocery store. You don't. You take dollars. You pay taxes in dollars. You pay your mortgage or your property tax in dollars. So part of what you're doing in this process is kind of demystifying, getting rid of some of those those hidden fees that are out there, getting rid of some of those crazy kind of, I don't know, like those shell games, right? As soon as you ask a question, the financial world or the website or whatever it is that you use, man, they go off on a tangent and you just don't want to feel dumb. So you go, ah, never mind. Yeah, 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 I got it. Yeah, yeah, times two, three, four, yeah. Okay, the rule of 100. This is important because when we talk about reducing those risks, we want to ask ourselves, how much should we have at risk? All right. Here's the other part that's interesting. What's the difference between a cost and a fee? You know, a lot of us think they're interchangeable, and maybe in some cases they are. They're interchangeable because you don't understand the difference between a cost and a fee. Great example. I go to the, to the car dealership and I buy a car. $30,000, that's the cost for the car. Here's 30000 give me a car. They say, oh, wait, before you go, you have to pay sales tax. You have to pay car registration. Now, all of a sudden, the, the fees are not 30000 in exchange for the car. That's my cost. No, 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 they charge you an additional, let's say, $2,000 or $5,000. So you have a cost where you receive something back and then the fee is in addition to that. You didn't receive anything, at least nothing tangible today. Well, what's the difference then when you go and have a, a retirement account that's in the market? You ask, what's my difference between cost and fees? What did I paid for something? What did I receive for it? Well, Eric, if you received $40,000 you've made in interest and the cost was to take your 200000 to 240. You look great. Okay, I like that. I, I mean, what, were, what were my fees on, on the top of that? Well, Eric, if we took off the top $1,500, I would tell you 
If you give me 20000 I'll give you 1500 all day long. Let's do that deal every week. Right? It's fair. I like that. Economically, it's right. It's a good deal. But don't tell me that from the time I opened my account to today, I paid $17,000. And in exchange, so that's my fee. And in exchange, I ended up with twenty. So, so that means my account made thirty-seven thousand dollars. You took seventeen, I got twenty. I don't know. You like that deal? You're the one that sacrificed for the last however many years to save this money. You're the one who didn't do certain things, who didn't donate, who didn't who didn't volunteer because you had to work overtime, who may have shown up late to your daughter's dance recital or couldn't make this particular event. Also that you could save enough money to make sure the broker who was in Fiji could take a vacation off of your $17,000. I know I'm being a little harsh, but I think you need to wake up a little bit. And when you do the math and it works for you, I'm very happy that it works for you. My point is, it's not common for me to find when somebody finds out And it isn't me that makes up the numbers. We just call the company. They tell us, hey, here's what you spent. You go, okay, that's a good deal. Or no, it's not. I like it. I'll take two or no. But the idea of you kind of having this financial structure in your life that is now going on to be on purpose. Everything you do is on purpose. Remember the buy low, sell high, right? If I had a room even of of 25-year-olds, or 65-year-olds, and I sat all of you in a room and I said, hey, everybody, finish this sentence for me. Buy low, sell. Everybody would say hi. Now, you notice that's a saying, and the saying is not buy at the bottom, sell at the top. That's not the saying. The saying is not buy buy the least expensive the moment that you can and then sell it at the very, very tip top of the market. That's not the market. That's not the, the saying. And the Rothschilds had a great saying, wealthy family out of East Coast. And they said, very simply, you never go broke by taking a profit. Because a lot of you are like, oh, if I only would have held on to Bitcoin, or if I only would have stayed with Apple a little longer, if I only would have bought that house and didn't sell it, you know, for for a $100,000 profit, but sold it for $300,000, if only. Well, everybody can do those. Right, Everybody can do the if-onlys. My point is, during this process of saving and building wealth and accumulating wealth, and we're going to do future, all of our shows are on different things, but in the future I want to talk about uh, the, the transfer of wealth. How do we make sure the next generation doesn't blow it? In the average, believe it or not, it's eight months. Regardless of the inheritance, it's eight months and it's all gone. That's the average. But how do we get into the point where you're you're managing your wealth without smoke and mirrors, right? You've worked hard. It's your money. You've saved it. You've built it up into a place where it's now your wealth. Let's kind of create a way for you to pass it to the next generation. You don't need to necessarily double your money in the next five years. You're good because of the rule called a 4% rule. Now, if you retire at 50 years old, it's not going to be 4%. It's probably a lot smaller than that. I don't know, maybe 3.5%. But if you retire at 60, 65, 70, maybe slow down working, how do you know if you have enough money to live on? Well, it's a very, very simple math problem. 
what are my expenses each and every month. Add in there some birthday parties and some Christmas presents, some travel. Don't forget, in my opinion, tithing or donating. Those are very important parts to your process uh, of retirement. It doesn't end just because you cease working. I think that part of your life is good for you, not just others, because it puts you in perspective of, of being um, you know, caretakers of the money. All right? So, so here's this idea. You're building your wealth. You've saved it. Is it enough to live on? Well, let's do the math. Your social security, her social security, right? Husband and wife. What about any rental property? What about any pensions? And then you just take your wealth, your dollars, and you say, how much do I need each month to live on? And if the math, if you have $100,000 and you do a 4% withdrawal, that is $4,000 a year, about $320 a month. So what you're going to do is say, my social security, spouse's social security, pensions, on and on and on, and that $320 a month. If that's enough to live on, then you don't need to take any greater risk. You can if you want to, if you think you can take, you know, $10,000 and you want to play in the market or or if you have a million dollars and you want to take $50,000 and invest and you want to play, you know, your stocks, oh, whatever, that's fine. What I don't want you to do is to think that you need to still be in the market. And the only way that you're, quote, safe is if you're in bonds. By the way, P.S., bonds can go down. If you can lose money in the, in the asset, then it's not a place that we go. If you can lose money in the process, then it's not, it's not something I do. There are people that are very good at risking your money and have a you know, great percentage chance of getting it back. I'm okay with that. That's your business. What do you want safe? If that if that hundred thousand, if you have five hundred thousand dollars and you're okay with making twenty twenty five thousand a year and having it go up a little bit each year to to bank in for inflation, then I'm your guy. That's what we do. If you have a uh, hundred thousand and you want to protect it, you have thirty thousand and you want to protect it. That's what we do. The difference is you say, "Oh, Arif, I have this work retirement plan. I love it." Keep it at risk. Why? Because you're going to dollar cost average. That means every time you invest, you, you save, you, you take from your paycheck, maybe your employer matches, every time that's going in, you're buying when things are low, buying when things are high, low, high. Instead, your lump sum from your previous job is going, we're rich, we're poor, we're up, we're down. And while that journey is happening every single day, Wall Street says, we're making money, we're making money. Brokers saying, we're charging a fee, we're charging a fee. You see, whenever anybody says, we do better when you do better, you're like, well, I just lost money. Why did you still get a paycheck? I get it. You made less of a paycheck. So you're going to eat out one time this week instead of two? No, no. I, I lost. My, my money's gone. Why, why did you still get paid? What, what, what do I hire you for? Right, that goes back to my cost versus fees. If you say I am hiring you to protect and grow my wealth, then you should get paid to protect and grow my wealth. And you should get paid when you protect and grow my wealth. 
It's not that difficult. A lot of the financial people, look, if you're buying a car, right? If I walk in to get my car fixed and, I, and the mechanic starts using words about, I, I don't know, anything past the word air filter and he, he loses me. I don't understand it. I just say, listen, when I push this button, it doesn't work. How much is it going to cost so that the next time I push this button, it works? And he says the price. I go, okay, it's a good deal. Here's my car. And he says, come back in a week. I come back in a week. I don't ask him, so, you know, did you change the solenoid with the uh, widget in the thing there? <laughs> I don't, I'm like, uh, push button. Woo, it works. Here's the, here's the credit card. Swipe it. See you later. Because I hired him for a job. So always ask yourself, I get you have a great relationship. But just make sure that your financial team, your broker, your Wall Street buddies aren't the only ones winning all the time. Because the market goes up, it goes down, and it stays the same. Your broker gets paid three out of three of those times. You only get paid, you only make money once when the market goes up. This is important, I guess, because in the last couple of weeks, I have seen countless folks coming in who have paid nearly as much in fees, and in two cases, more in fees than they actually made in the account or in the product. I mean, you follow me? They paid more in fees. So the idea, the concept of I need my money in a safe place. Okay, that's what we do. If I can help you, it's my pleasure. It's an honor, in fact. So here is part of what I think you guys look at when you kind of have a, a process of two or three or four choices for retirement accounts. One is to keep those in IRAs, individual retirement accounts. In other words, they're still protected. You don't have to begin, as far as taxes go, you don't have to begin to pull money out of them until you're 72. So if you turn 72 in January, February, December, it doesn't matter. By December 31st of that year is when you have to begin to take out your first withdrawal. Okay, age 72. That's important because a lot of you are still working. A lot of you don't need the money. Why do you have to cause a taxable event when you don't need the money? So that's one option. Another option is if you have a lot of write-offs, if you have a big deduction year, on your income taxes. You're going to work with your CPA. We are not CPAs. You're going to always check with your tax preparer, your tax advisor, your CPA. But you're going to ask them this. Listen, how much of a write-off do I have? And they're going to say, oh, you have $10,000. Okay, those losses, can I offset those losses with my rollover, or if you will, conversion of my traditional IRA over into my Roth IRA? Can you do a merger of that and allow this to be something that you are in a, in a good position, I think, to never pay taxes again on the current, under the current system? The current model says if you have money that's in a Roth IRA, R-O-T-H, then you are not paying taxes on that money. Not until you withdraw it. Well, that's a, that's a pretty cool thing. Because you and your family gets to get to spend that money that's taxes. Now, if you don't have the write-offs, then you have to be able to have multiple sources of, of deductions or something that's going to absorb it. Because maybe you'll get into a position where you say, well, you know, I'm willing to bite the bullet now. I'm willing to pay the taxes now. The problem in 2021 is this. We have a 
We have a transfer of political ideas. We have a far-left progressive president who's being pushed even further into that when he's awake. And on that period of time, the rest of the, whoever's running the show. Listen, some people are saying it's Kamala. Some people are saying it's Susan Rice. I don't know. Somebody else is running the show because Joe Biden, you know, I don't know. I don't think he's all there. I think he's a nice person, I'm sure. A little creepy, I guess. But I don't know. He's not running the show. That's for sure. So that's the unpredictability. I would caution you on doing anything large movement-wise between taxes or not taxable. I don't mean rollover. You could do that all day long. Direct transfer all day long. But a conversion where you're going to take something from a traditional IRA and make it a Roth IRA. In other words, get that deduction. In my opinion, guys, be a little careful. We don't know what the mood is because here's what what, uh, D.C., Washington, D.C. can do. They can pass a rule in in September, October, November. They can pass a law and retroactive it till January 1st. So you operated under one set of rules. It's kind of like playing a football game. And in the fourth quarter, they change the rules and they say, and we're going to go back to the first quarter. So everybody, all the rules, all the games, uh, the downs and the penalties, well, we changed them. You're like, but we played the game under those sets of rules. Well, sorry, that's not the way it works. Right? Or playing a baseball game and, you know, you're in the seventh inning and they say, well, we're going to now make it, these things are legal and these things are not. These are allowed, these aren't. So just be careful if you're going to do any large taxable or tax write-off movements because anything can happen with a single-party state or United States. If you're not sure, look at the state of New York. Look at the state of California. Have you seen Portland or Seattle lately? Whenever you have a one-party state and one group of people, right? When Nancy Pelosi's nephew is Gavin, or yeah, nephew, I think, Gavin Newsom, right? I mean, you understand that Diane Feinstein is one of the most crooked people. She had a Chinese spy working with her and they did not punish her. I mean... These people are going to do some weird things in the coming year. Just protect yourself. Make sure your family's safe. 888-99-RETIRE. I'm Eric Hallaby. 888-997-3847. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon. Be safe. Now Arif has a plan for me. Higher income strategy. I'll retire comfortably. Thanks to Arif Hallaby. Now every dollar's got a job to do. Arab makes your money work.